Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. How can Chicago change the way it handles mental health emergencies? I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Mayor Brandon Johnson has pledged his support for a community safety ordinance that would change how the city responds to mental health emergencies. What's known as treatment, not trauma, asks the city to invest in public mental health services rather than rely on responses from police officers. Johnson and other city leaders discussed the plan this past weekend at the first annual summit of its kind. Here to discuss more in detail are two people who attended that event. Dr. Eric Reinhardt is an anthropologist of policing, prisons, and public health, and a physician at Northwestern University. And Emily Piff is a member of the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs. Emily, give us some more details on the goals of this ordinance. Sure. So Treatment Not Trauma, it's a campaign that's led by the people of Chicago who want to see a fully funded and robust public care system in Chicago. This campaign seeks to do multiple things, including open the city's closed mental health clinics that have been closed, unfortunately, over the last decade. And also it aims to create a citywide crisis response program where you can call in and the city will dispatch properly trained mental health professionals and EMTs to a mental health crisis rather than armed police officers. Yeah, people in Chicago right now, we can call 988 to be uh, connected to a mental health professional who can help with things like de-escalation, right? But that has not always been the case here. Uh, So Dr. Reinhardt, why do police officers end up being dispatched in these situations? You know, for four decades, um, this is true in Chicago, but across the U.S., we've really divested from social care systems Mm -hmm. and invested more and more money in police who have been required to respond to social emergencies, to mental health and behavioral emergencies, where you don't necessarily need a police officer and the police don't actually want to respond to these crises. Uh, These are difficult scenarios for them. They're set up to fail. Treatment, not trauma, is about building the systems that we once did have to a limited degree uh, but have really let fall away so that police are not in that kind of position and so that people who need help are not being confronted with police officers who are concerned about violence, often unnecessarily, mm-hmm. um, and they can get the help that they need. Yeah, you said there was that setup is a setup for failure, right? W- yeah. What are the help us understand the potential consequences when a cop shows up? Unfortunately, we have a lot of examples across the U.S. and in Chicago. In 2015, Antonio Legrier is a 19-year-old black young man home from college. He had a, a mental illness. He called 911 the only option available to him at the time, three times, asking for help. He was hung up on by the operator each time. It didn't take him seriously. His father then called 911. This is, you know, some time later, saying that, that he had gone berserk, I believe were the father's words, and they requested help for a mental health emergency. Sometime later, two police officers showed up the door with their guns drawn. The person who answered the door, Betty Jones, the downstairs neighbor who had come up to try to help Antonio and his father. She was shot and killed. Antonio, who was suffering a mental health crisis, was shot and killed. Police made no attempt to revive them on the scene. Their own investigation subsequently found. Mm. These kinds of scenarios happen all the time in the U.S. This should never happen. 
Somebody who calls for help should be able to get the kind of help that they need. They did not need an armed police response. They needed somebody who could respond to somebody in a mental health crisis, de-escalate the situation, somebody who is trusted, not somebody who you open a door and find they have a gun drawn and you feel threatened by them. That's not helpful in these scenarios. You know, I'm a psychiatrist. I meet people in crisis all the time. There are things you can do to de-escalate people. Sending a police officer to respond to them in time of need is, is not one of them. Mm. Emily, you have been an active member with the campaign for the ordinance, which, as we mentioned, was first introduced back in 2020. What work have you all been doing for the past three years? Sure. So the ordinance was um, put up in 2020. However, um, this has been kind of a campaign that's been going for a long time since the mental health clinics were closed during Emanuel's administration in around 2012. Um, But over the past few years, it's been fairly difficult. For example, prior mayor Lori Lightfoot, before her election, said that she would she was a proponent of opening up the mental health clinics, but then during her tenure, um, she reneged on that promise and also even blocked it in city council. So there's been right. a lot of really difficult roadblocks. Um, however, we're really excited about where treatment not trauma is right now and the overwhelming support from both um, elected officials and also community support. Yeah, the treatment not trauma summit, it was the, the first of its kind and, and multiple city officials, as we know, were there. What was the goal of the summit, Emily? You know, the goal of this summit was, one, to share information about um, the ordinance and the campaign and where we are and have moved from. Another was to get um, our public representatives there and to speak their support and to make promises to the people that they're going to support this ordinance and this um, this campaign that as it moves forward and hopefully gets implemented. That's what's really important to us, the implementation and showing the real results that will come from it. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Reinhardt, I mean, uh, coming off of those powerful words you just you just spoke uh, a moment ago, I imagine uh, it echoes some of what you presented at the summit. You presented your research. You were talking about the consequences of police intervention in mental health crises. Talk more about who this affects mm. and how. This affects everybody. This is a, a public health ordinance. And there, there's a racial wealth gap yes. here, too. A racial life expectancy gap, too. The city of Chicago, like the rest of the country, has abysmal public health systems. This is not the fault of individual leaders at the Chicago Department of Public Health right now, for example. This is about systematic divestment from public health systems over four decades. In the 1980s, under Mayor Harold Washington, Chicago was the biggest provider of ambulatory care services in the city. We provided direct care, public care, for free, cost-free, independent of your insurance status, your immigration status, et cetera, to people. In the 1990s, that was privatized. All of that public, not all of it, but most of that public infrastructure was, was allowed to just crumble. And instead of having rights to care, one had to depend upon charitable overtures from nonprofit organizations. And that has become the norm. That is why um, prior mayor Lori Lightfoot refused to open the city-run clinic. She bought into this private model and said this is the way we should go, despite mm-hmm. the fact that it's been failing miserably for a very long time, despite the fact that in most black and brown neighborhoods in Chicago, you have nearly zero providers per thousand people for, for mental health services. And there's a huge disparity. In, in white parts of the city, you have like 4.5 providers per thousand people. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's not an equitable system. This all contributes to a huge racial gap in life expectancy in the city of Chicago, which has been growing. The pandemic exacerbated even more, preyed on inequalities that already existed. So that it's now 10 years, the the life expectancy gap between black Chicagoans and white Chicagoans. 10 years. Do you see a trend of criminalizing mental health in this country? 
mental health has been criminalized since more or less since the asylums closed, and they should have been closed, the 1950s and 60s. At that time, mental health leaders, politicians, everybody said, we need to build a new model of caring for people who have mental health needs. We need a community mental health infrastructure. And for a brief moment, when there was the, the launch of the War on Poverty by Lyndon Johnson, it seemed we might get that. We had, that was when CDPH, the Chicago Department of Public Health, first opened its mental health centers. In 1959, it opens first one, 18 more over the next decade. Mm-hmm. And we had very successful models here and in New York, other places. They were defunded. And they were defunded in part because of the domination of the medical industry and the medical model of response. Something that's really important to understand about treatment, not trauma, is that it's not just about this most dramatic element, which is having non-police mobile crisis response teams. It's about building an infrastructure to prevent crises from ever arising. For that, you need sustained, ongoing care. That's what the mental health centers can provide as community hubs. But even more importantly, what staffs the mental health centers that we're proposing and these mobile uh, non-police crisis response teams are community care workers. We don't need therapists and psychiatrists in every situation. In fact, we can never hire enough of them. But you can empower community members with proper wages like we give to police, for example. You can train them. There's been study after study around the world that shows actually the most effective form of mental health care delivery is not primarily by professionals. It's by peer support workers who have been trained to perform these roles and are intrinsically motivated because they are part of these communities and they have lived experience that informs their reaction to what people need, their dedication to the work. So treatment trauma is about rebuilding a public infrastructure, a human infrastructure through public jobs to build a genuine system of public health, which is not about technocracy and biosurveillance, but it's actually about providing direct services to people, something we used to do. And that's something that earns trust in communities. It gives black and brown communities a reason to trust the city, mm-hmm. a reason to trust one another. Police don't do that. That They're not a trust-building enterprise in general. They may have an important function, some people would argue, but building trust is rarely one of them. It's certainly not by deploying police to respond to mental health emergencies. That that's what they should be doing, though. They should be building trust? Yeah. They're building trust from, a, from an impossible position because so treatment of trauma, some people have this idea that somehow it's oppositional with police. This is, in my view, completely incorrect. Cities around the country that have deployed these kinds of systems, and we are way behind the curve in Chicago. Other cities have done this with great success. Mm-hmm. After about three months, this is what we heard yesterday in the city council hearing, Police departments get on board. They're initially reserved. They're, not, they're concerned this is going to be a threat to, to their kind of cultural influence, their power. But then they realize this dramatically improves their working conditions. In 2019, CPD responded to 40,000 calls with a mental health component. Police officers do not want to be responding to mental health emergencies. We talked about it earlier. Yeah. They're set up to fail. So when we invest in these systems, it does allow police to actually perform a more appropriate role in communities. In the absence of, an, of a public community mental health infrastructure, police are set up to fail. Uh, neighborhoods are set up to distrust the city because yeah. they're being assigned people to respond to them who are not appropriate for their needs. Emily, yesterday, the Chicago City Council Health Committee, they heard a, a hearing on the ordinance. So if this gets passed, how would it affect Chicagoans, both in the short term and the long term? Yes. So I think it, one thing that is important that Dr. Reinhardt mentioned, this is this will really affect positively for everybody in Chicago. Um, we all really need mental health services. Um, in one way or another throughout different times of our lives. So in the short term, um, we are hoping to reinvest some of the funds. So for example, the Chicago Police Department has over 800 vacancies that have remained unfilled for years. So in terms of revenue um, to fund treatment of trauma, that's one of our solutions is to allocate the budget for these open vacancies that 
cannot be filled and to reallocate that towards this mental health crisis response and also the opening the mental health care centers. And in the long term, that is the goal to have all of these mental health centers reopen so Mm -hmm. that they are free to use for all the people of Chicago and they're not locked behind the barriers of potentially privatization, which can turn down people if they don't have insurance or it doesn't often often doesn't serve undocumented people. So just making sure that all of these centers are open for all people of Chicago. Yeah. And as we as we talked about, Chicago would not be the first city to have a model like this. It's been done elsewhere and it's worked. Uh, Emily, I wonder how this changes our ideas of, of the role that the city has in managing our mental health. Like, can you maybe explain more about what responsibility a city has in making sure that there are Mm -hmm. proper resources for everyone? Yes, absolutely. I think that the things that a city invests in is really where they're saying our values are. And in Chicago, if we look at our budget, the police currently get $1.7 billion, whereas the Department of Public Health gets about $180 million. So it's a huge disparity. And really it shows where our values lie. We want to be a city that cares for people with health. We want all of our citizens to have access to healthcare and to be able to live the most full and rich lives as possible. So truly like this is legislation that um, will help to ensure that it's something that I think as a proud Chicagoan and somebody who loves this city, I would be really happy if the city took that into account and supported the, supported the citizens more in terms of healthcare. Where would we get the staffing that this ordinance requires? Mm. I mean, mm-hmm. do we have enough social workers and, and professionals to, to respond to these emergencies and also staff clinics if they're reopened, Dr. Reinhardt? One of the testimonies that was given yesterday, I believe, I can't remember if it was actually Denver or Albuquerque, they were both present. They've both developed models like this. They've had no difficulty hiring for these positions. Okay. They had 50 open positions and over 500 applicants. These are jobs that people can believe in. Mm-hmm. This is not just so true. folks will step up. People, people I mean, I, I'm a physician. I work in a context where most of my colleagues are profoundly demoralized. Working in U.S. healthcare, working in U.S. privatized social systems is very discouraging because we can't do the work effectively without a public infrastructure. If we build that public infrastructure, and this is, I've been I was talking to a colleague of mine in New York who built something similar there. Mm-hmm. I was talking to him yesterday. He said people said it would be difficult to hire. Not difficult at all, actually. If you build a system that people can believe in because people are hungry for jobs that they think matter, that are actually true to what they say their ideals are, and that's what this system would be. So, But the other thing to remember is we're not hiring – we're not talking about hiring thousands of therapists and social workers and psychiatrists. We're talking about a system whose labor base is community members right now who are hired and trained to do this work under then the mentorship and the support mm-hmm. of social workers and – and psychiatrists and nurses, etc. So you're saying we already have the folks. We have people we here. Have, They're yeah. waiting for jobs. We've lost 10,000 public jobs over the last 30 years in Chicago. Hmm. Those were primarily jobs that were that went to black and brown members of Chicago. The, the public sector is an incredibly important economic engine yeah. for for dispossessed parts of Chicago. So it, this is program is not just about the mental health services. It's also about the fact of gainful, meaningful, dignified employment that builds communities and builds trust. And that's really important for, for mental health. Well, Emily, as we mentioned, Mayor Johnson says he would pass treatment, not traumas. Do you think that he and city council members will actually do it? That's a great question. I'm really hoping that the answer is yes. And I do believe in a lot of the people that we have elected who have really strong values that align with the community. I think that 
this will get passed and this will get implemented. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the positive benefits on the whole city and all of our community members. Leave us with this, doctor. I mean, we, we still don't have a solid idea of when this could be presented again in city hall. So what do you recommend for folks listening um, to that they want to find mental health resources in the meantime? In the meantime. Uh, you know, it's, we do have five city-run clinics right now, and some of them have openings. Frankly, we, the, the Chicago Department of Public Health has not done a very good job of properly advertising and staff them. A lot of people who need mental health services who live blocks away don't even know they exist. So look up the five existing Chicago mental health clinics where you can get care independent of your capacity to pay, your insurance status, your immigration status. Go there. Utilize the, the nonprofit infrastructure we have, you know, but the reality is what we need to do most is organize to make sure that treatment, not trauma, happens yeah. and that it's done at its most ambitious scale. And you know, we had a referendum that was organized last year. So that means we put on the ballot in Chicago and a bunch of wards of the highest unmet mental health needs. Do they support treatment, not trauma, a non-police crisis response team reopening the, the mental health centers? Overwhelming majority, 97% of people who voted voted in in affirmation of this agenda. So now we have an opportunity with budget negotiations coming up. I, I have little doubt the treatment of trauma is going to pass city council. Okay. The mayor Johnson is in support of it. The issue is how much money is going to go towards it. Are we truly going to invest in it to be, allow it to make it successful? Or is this going to be a symbolic gesture without real financial resources so that it can't actually do what it needs to do? So mm-hmm. what people need to do is make sure that every single older person in this city knows that their community wants this, their community needs this, and not just as a token, but as a genuine financial investment. Speak up. Dr. Aaron Reithart is an anthropologist of policing prisons and public health and a physician at Northwestern University. And Emily Piff is a member of the Jewish Council on Urban Affairs. Thank you both so much. This episode of Reset was produced by Nadia Hernandez. It was edited by Stephanie Kim and Ethan Schwab. Regardless of what platform you're listening to us on, we hope you enjoyed spending time with us this morning. FYI, we drop episodes every Monday through Saturday. You can stay up to date by subscribing. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and we will meet again this afternoon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.